It's great to be here today, and as Ferdinand said, it was no accident that we are on the chapter in the book that we've been reading for the last 27 weeks. Uh, for those of you who are new or didn't know, we've been going through a book called The Story. And the story is the Bible beginning in Genesis, going all the way to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And it goes in chronological order. It's an abbreviated version of it, but it's all the Bible. And we began over 27 weeks ago, but we had planned it for today because we were told, as we planned it, to find Easter and choose chapter 27 for Easter Sunday. And then work your way backwards to the beginning and then go forward from there. And so the center of our planning for the story was this week, the resurrection. And in the same way, I think this is a great idea about our own lives. Because our own lives can center on the most important day in history, the resurrection day. When Jesus Christ came back to life and gave us all hope. Because the greatest enemy we all face is death. The greatest fear we all have is death. And the greatest need we all have is life after death. God has given to us a central point in our lives to help us to see how we can look at our past life. Because maybe you look back and you go, oh, I don't like all those things that happened. Or maybe you think, gosh, I've been so blessed. Well, how did that happen? How did those blessings come? God was in control. God was leading you to the point where you would be able to see that all of his blessings are from him. Now, maybe your past isn't all that great. And you're going, ah, oh, I wish it was different. I wish it wasn't so bad. And I had so many things I regret. And you made me feel guilty. God can forgive everything that happened in the past because of today, because of Resurrection Sunday. And today, maybe you're here and you're going, I don't know about life. I've got so many things going on. I don't know about how I'm going to make it through the day. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I'm feeling really discouraged. And God is here today to say, I have something for you. I have a gift for you, better than an iPhone. I have something that will give you life. And maybe you're here today and you're going, this has been the best year of my life. This has just been the greatest day. I'm so happy today. I've never been happier than ever as I am today. Well, there's a reason for that. The Bible says that all good gifts come from God. And today, Resurrection Day, is the greatest gift of all that God's given to us. And about the future? Do you wonder about the future? Do you wonder if there's hope for your children? Do you wonder about the problems in the world? Do you wonder about the direction of our world? Not alone, not just the direction of our country, but the direction of the world. Do you wonder about the direction of your own life? Well, the resurrection speaks to that too. Because God has a plan. God has a purpose. And God has the purpose to carry out his plan. And the proof of that, the Bible says, all comes down to today. The Bible says that if Jesus rose from the dead, then everything he says is true. If Jesus rose from the dead, then every power that he has is for us, because he says it is. If Jesus rose from the dead, then every promise that he gives will come to life, because he is real. And this is what God says to us, do you believe? Do you believe that? Do you want to believe that? Because that's what Easter's all about. So I want to pray. I want to ask you, as I do, to just open up our hearts and let God speak to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love and for your goodness and for your grace. 
And Father, as we look into the resurrection, as we look into what you give us, I pray, Father, that we would be filled with the hope that you give. Help us, Lord, as we journey with the disciples from the moments where they began to see the living Lord. Help us to journey with them and see that you indeed are the resurrection and the life. I pray for everybody here, Lord, that you know their needs. Lord, and you are able to meet every need in every heart, every soul, every life here today, from the youngest one to the oldest. And so, Father, I pray that your light will shine in our lives today and that we will see that you are good no matter where we are. And when life is good, we'll give you praise because it is all from you. Lord, you have indeed risen. You have risen indeed. Help us, Lord, to embrace that truth and know what it means in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This last week, I got to see something I've never seen in my life before. Um, I've always wanted to see it, and I was able to see it this past Monday. Anybody know what happened this past Monday? The lunar eclipse, right? The complete, the total lunar eclipse. And I love the stars. I love looking out at space. And um, I didn't have to stay up too late because it all began at 11 p.m. on Monday night. Uh, but I took some pictures of the eclipse, and uh, you can see them there. And so that begins with the full moon at about 10.58 p.m. on Monday night. And then about 11 um, oh, five, the second one there, you can see that the shadow of the earth is beginning to go over the moon. And then as time goes on, took a few more pictures until the last one there is at about 1230, an hour and a half, when the total eclipse had happened. And it was just an amazing sight to be able to see the changes as the earth went over and covered. The shadow went completely over the, the moon. And then the moon turned red. And it was beautiful. It was eerie. But it was glorious. And then I got tired <laughs> and went to sleep. And that was at, at 12.30. Well, the eclipse continued all the way until 3 in the morning, until the earth's shadow passed. And you know, I thought of this this week as sort of a celestial metaphor of our lives. Is that there are times in life where you think everything's sort of going okay, but gradually, gradually the light begins to dim. Sometimes you don't even know what's happening. It's imperceptible at first. But then after a little while, you begin to recognize there's something different about things. There's something different about life. There's something different about my heart. And I'm beginning to feel a little bit more under the weather. And then pretty soon you're saying, you know what? Things aren't so good. And then it hits. And there's darkness. And you had a foreboding of its coming. But even when it came, you weren't ready. And there was a darkness and it just hit you and it hurt. And God understands. And God's word tells us that he wants us to know there's hope. But we begin by understanding that darkness affects everyone. And it affected Jesus and it affected the disciples. In fact, on the day that Jesus was crucified, I don't know if it was a total solar eclipse or if God, in some other miraculous way, cut out the sun so that all the shadow went upon the earth in the middle of the day. But the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 46. This is Jesus while he is on the cross. The sixth hour means noon. And the Bible says from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. 
About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sasbastinai, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So even Jesus, darkness, a total eclipse came over him. Darkness came over him. Darkness came over the disciples. And Jesus was dead. And the disciples were all scattered. And they were all mourning. And they were all confused. And they didn't know what to make of all the events. They, all they knew was that their best friend, their best hope was gone now. They saw him crucified. They saw him dead. They saw all that happened to him being nailed to the cross. And they knew that their hope now somehow was in the grave. And they were all depressed. And maybe out of all the disciples, maybe Peter was the most depressed out of all of them. Peter was the one who stood up and said, Jesus, I love you no matter what happens. No matter what happens, I'm going to stick with you. I will stay with you to the end. But then Jesus told Peter, no, Peter, I know you. There's eclipse coming over your life. And when I'm gone, when the sun is shut out of your life, you're going to deny me. In fact, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows the next day. Peter didn't believe that that would happen, but it did. Jesus had been arrested and Jesus was going through this trial and Peter sort of snuck up near the trial, but he wouldn't go too close. And some girl saw him and said, hey, Peter, hey, you're one of Jesus's disciples. And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Number one. But then we read in Matthew 26, verses 72 through 75, his second and his third denials of Jesus. And there it says, again, Peter denied it. This time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster Road. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away, weeping bitterly. Bad had gone to terrible, had gone to worse. Not only in Peter's mind, was his Savior gone? Not only had he denied his Savior, but would there be ever again a time he could look in a mirror and look at himself and not know that this was a man who had failed? Would he ever have a chance again to make it up to his disciple friends? Would he be able to do anything in his heart to be able to, to, to fix what had been broken there? His heart was in a complete eclipse. But when he saw Jesus, when Jesus rose and Peter saw him, something changed. When Peter saw Jesus again, Peter received something from Jesus he never in his dreams thought he would get. He didn't imagine it while he was depressed. He didn't imagine it while he was weeping bitterly. But because of God's love and because of God's grace, Jesus came back to show himself to Peter. 
And that's what Easter is about. Is that God is showing himself to you right now. Through his words. Jesus is revealing himself to you right now. And Jesus wants you to see him. Not just to believe about him. But to see him. To see him as a real person. To see him as alive right now. Just as Peter saw him. When we see Jesus. If we see Jesus. Our lives should not be the same. If you see somebody you greatly admire. Somebody whom you would love to meet. Just think about whoever that person is, whatever man, whatever woman that would be. You would just love to go and see them right now. And imagine if they were dead, but they came back to life and you saw them and you got to talk to them. Wouldn't your life change? That you got to see the one you long for so much? Peter got to do that. And his life was changed. It was transformed. And God wants us to know that our lives can be transformed too. From the lowest point, from the darkest eclipse of failure. God wants us to know that there can be purpose in our life. And for Peter, what we see is that when he saw Jesus alive again, after Jesus had died, after Jesus had risen from the dead, that Jesus was saying to him, Peter, I'm going to transform your failure into loving service. God will transform our failures into a purpose. He will allow us to love and to serve other people as part of the new life that he gives us. We see this in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. And there we see Jesus and Peter together again after the resurrection. Jesus is alive and Peter knows this and all the disciples know this. But Jesus hadn't been seen by them for a little while. And so Peter said, let's go fishing. So they went fishing and they went out on a boat. And while they were out in the boat, they didn't catch any fish. And so there was a man standing on the shore and going, hey, guys, how's the fishing going? And they yelled back, oh, nothing, man. Don't go fishing. It's a bad day. And then Jesus, they didn't know it was Jesus, but Jesus said, why don't you try one more time? Throw your nets out on the right side of the boat. And so they're going, okay, we'll try it. So they throw their nets out on the right side of the boat. And they just grab all kinds of fish. Hundreds of fish. And then John recognizes Jesus. And he says, Peter, it's Jesus. And you know what Peter does? He puts on his clothes and he jumps into the water and he swims to Jesus. Now, if I go swimming, I take off my clothes, right? But Peter puts on his clothes, right? He's so excited and he doesn't want to be seen. He's modest. He wants to be there clothes. So he puts on his clothes and he swims to Jesus and he goes to Jesus. And Jesus talks to him. And I think now, by now, when the conversation begins, all the other disciples, they've got the boats back on the shore. They're all around Jesus. They're so excited. Jesus actually had cooked them breakfast Jesus had already brought some fish. He had his own. He didn't need them to catch it. And he's already cooking breakfast for them. He says, come have breakfast with me. And so they're having breakfast. And the breakfast conversation goes to be with Peter and with Jesus. And that's what we read here in John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Remember, Peter had been the one who had said, you know, Jesus, I'll never deny you. I love you. Even if all of them mess up, I won't mess up. Even if all of them run away, I won't run away. Even if all they don't love you, I'll love you. And Jesus had denied him. And now Jesus is giving Peter a chance to confess, to admit what he had said, but also to reconfess his love for Jesus. And so Jesus just says to him, Peter, are you sure that you love me more than you love all of these? Are you sure you love me more than fishing? Peter says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And then Jesus gives him instructions. And he says, feed my lambs. Little baby sheep, feed my lambs. Verse 16. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A second time, Jesus says to Simon, to Peter, that's his other name, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Jesus is taking away all comparisons. It's almost as if all the other disciples have disappeared and it's just Jesus and Peter. It's as if it is just Jesus and us. It's as if it was just Jesus and you. And you're there with Jesus. And he says to you, do you love me? That's the question Jesus asks. Is there a reciprocal love that you have for Jesus? Peter said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And then Peter gives him the instructions. Take care of my sheep so that even after the lambs have grown, take care of the grown sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. A third time. And the Bible makes it clear that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. There seems to be no doubt that what was happening here was Jesus was reminding Peter, yes, you denied me three times, but now I'm giving you a chance to proclaim me three times in front of all of these people that you love me. And even though it hurts, Peter, even though it hurts to remember where you fail, I want you to know I still have a plan for you. I still have grace for you. I still love you. I never stopped loving you. I don't love you any less, all because you've messed up. Yes, you failed, but Peter, this is my call to you. Loving service. Feed my sheep. We start with a lamb. You feed the little lamb, and it grows up. To become a sheep. You take care of that sheep. It gets hungry again. And you feed that sheep. It is a call to a lifetime. Of love for Jesus. A call to serve him. And a call that helps us to know. That no matter how far we've fallen. No matter where we failed. He loves us just the way we are. But the question isn't just. Do we know that he loves us. Just the way they are. I think this is the question for you and me. Do I love Jesus just the way I am? Do I love Jesus just the way 
I am. In other words, do I love Jesus without needing to go and take a bath? And do I love Jesus without needing to pretty up? Do I love Jesus just the way I am? You know, I don't think, oh, Jesus, let me go fix myself first and then I'll come back and love you. Can I just love him right now the way I am? Can I love Jesus just with the faith that I have right now? Just with who I am. I don't have to try harder. I don't have to go and do anything more. Do I just love him? Because he loves me right now. I don't need to be a different person. I can love him just the way I am. And when we do, he calls us into a place of life that, that helps us to grow. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but it does mean that it's going to be purposeful. So when we come from failure and Christ gives us his love, it moves us into places of service. It moves us into places of unselfishness. It moves us into caring for other people. This is the lesson of Peter when he faced his eclipse. But Thomas, he faced a different type of eclipse. And I think we're all kind of familiar with Thomas in the sense that he's known as doubting Thomas. And he's known as doubting Thomas because even after Jesus had risen from the dead and all the other disciples had seen Jesus and they were saying, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and unless I put my hands inside the hole where the spear thrust him into the side, into his heart, I won't believe. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I see it with my very own eyes. And then Jesus appears. Jesus shows himself to Thomas. And seeing Jesus transforms Thomas. Seeing Jesus transforms Thomas from his doubts into a place of worship. In John chapter 20, verse 27 through 29. You have these verses there on your outline. John chapter 20, 27 through 29 on the back side. Would you read them with me, please? John 20, 27 through 29. Let's begin. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. God wants us to know through Thomas. You know, we can relate to Peter because we've missed him. We can relate to Thomas. I can relate to Thomas because I doubt. And I'm so thankful that Jesus lets us see the picture of real life people like Peter and Thomas who doubt. But what does Peter say? He says, what does Jesus say to Thomas? He says, I want you, Thomas, to believe so much that I'm willing to show myself. You said you won't believe unless you see my hands. Look, here's my hands. Thomas, you said you won't believe unless you put your finger in my side. Okay, put it in my side. Here's a picture. Uh, you can sort of see it there. It's not real clear. But the, just go back to the first one. There's a picture there of, um, by Carvaggio. And um, he lived in about six, well, he made this picture in 1602. And it's, it's a beautiful picture. And it's a picture of his interpretation of doubting Thomas. And there, Thomas is doing what Jesus said. He's beginning to put his finger into the side of Jesus. 
He's investigating to see if it's really true. And this is something that God invites all of us to do. If we're doubting. Whether we're Christians and doubting or whether we're seekers and we're not yet Christians, but we're wondering, is Jesus really who he says he is? Is Jesus really Savior? Is Jesus really God? Then he's inviting us, like Thomas, to come and investigate. This picture tells us it's okay to come before Jesus. If we have a willingness to believe, Jesus will reveal himself to us. Say, Jesus, make yourself real to me. Show me yourself. The other disciples had believed, but Thomas had found it so hard to believe. You know, Thomas was in good company. He was around those who believed. And it's a good thing for us to be in good company. It's good for us to be around those who believe. When we are having doubts, other people's faith can carry us. When we are having doubts, other people's faith can carry us. Just like Thomas, he was having doubts, but he stayed with the group of the other disciples But they can carry us through their faith, but they cannot fill us with their faith. Only we can receive a filling of faith ourselves with Jesus. It can't come through other people. It has to come through a personal act of our own will to say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I've investigated you. I'll seek you out and I'll search you and I want to find you and I want to know you to be real. I want to know you to be alive. And now the next picture is a modern day um, copy of, of the picture from Caravaggio. And this one's done by John Granville Gregory. And this one was just done a few years ago, I believe, but very recently. And it's his interpretation for today of people who still need to investigate Jesus, who still want to know if he's real. Because just like Thomas doubted over 2,000 years ago, there are people here today, even in this room, who still have some doubts. And Jesus invites us to investigate so that our faith can carry us and so that our faith will be filled by Jesus. When we have doubts, it is like when we have temptations. When we have doubts and we have temptations, they can do one of two things. They can take us away from God or they can propel us towards God. Doubts and temptations have great power. To lead us into a place further from God or to lead us into the presence of God. And God invites us to let our doubts turn into worship. So that like Thomas, we can say, when we see Jesus, my Lord and my God. And God wants us to know that God understands it's hard for us to believe when we can't physically see. And that's why Jesus said, Thomas, you're blessed because you believe, because you get to see. But even more blessed are those who cannot see, but still believe. Who cannot see yet, but still believe. There's a time that a man had a son who was dying. And he wanted his son to be healed like every great father would. And his son was extremely sick. And so he brought his son to the disciples. And disciples were praying over this boy. And yet the boy remained sick. It didn't work. Their faith was so weak. And Jesus saw the commotion that was going on. And so Jesus came and Jesus came over to them. He said, what's going on? And the father said, my boy is sick. He's dying. Can you help me? If you can help me, please 
do? And Jesus says, if, if I can help you, he says, you have to believe. And the man's at this wonderful prayer, a prayer that I've said many times in my life, a prayer that we can all say when we want to believe, when we want our doubts to be transformed to worship. The man said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. God will help us to believe so that we can come closer to see who he truly is, so that we can bow to him in worship, so that we can bow to him and know his love, so that we can worship him in truth and in spirit. And so Thomas helps us to see that Jesus is alive and helps us in our worship and that we come as a people full of his hope and full of his love. But then there's also John, the apostle that the Bible calls the one that Jesus loved. He was the only one who didn't run away from Jesus when he was on the cross. There were a number of women and John who are Jesus' followers who stayed with him while he was nailed to the cross. John saw Jesus die. John was one of the first to go and run to the tomb and see that Jesus wasn't in the tomb anymore. The Bible says that when John saw the empty tomb, when he saw where Jesus once laid, when he saw that only the burial clothes were there, but no one was in it, the Bible says that John believed. John had seen and experienced the fear of Jesus' death. But when he saw the resurrected Christ, his life was transformed. And in the same way, like John, when we see Jesus, he transforms any fear and he transforms any death into confidence and life. Jesus gives us confidence and life. Jesus gives us confidence for life. John wrote these words for us when he said in John 20, 31, He's talking about what he's just written in his gospel. He says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus gives us life wherever we need it. And we do go through dark shadows. But John saw that the Son of God had risen. And there are many sunrise services this morning. Did anybody wake up early and go to a sunrise service? All right. Just, oh, a couple. All right. There's a couple of brave souls there. All right. I remember as a youth, I used to get up early and I remember doing all-nighters sometimes because I was afraid that if I fell asleep, I wouldn't wake up. And then we would go up to a place up near San Diego called Mount Helix. Um, and it's in the city of La Mesa. And they built this amphitheater. It was a huge cross on top. They built the amphitheater very just for Easter sunrise services. And so the whole auditorium, this amphitheater, faces to the east. And over the mountains of the San Diego Ranges, we would see the sunrise on Easter morning. And this is what John saw, but in spirit and in truth. He saw the living Son of God rise that first Easter morning. And he says that the whole reason I'm writing is so that you will see this in the midst of darkness. You will see the sun rise. If you're going through an eclipse, it's going to end. And the sun is going to shine on you again. Peter had changed. He had been broken. He had been discouraged. He had been depressed. He had thought it was all over. He had failed. But then Jesus restored him. And he came back to life. So much so that the Bible tells us that after Jesus had gone back to heaven... 
Peter became an evangelist. Peter became a great speaker for Jesus. And in Acts chapter 2, Jesus is raised up by Peter. And Peter gives this amazing message about Jesus' resurrection. And he quotes the book of Joel, a prophecy in the Old Testament book of Joel. And in Acts 20, verse, Acts 2, verse 19 through 21, we read these words. And this is Peter preaching to thousands of people about the resurrected Jesus. And Peter says, quoting Joel, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so just this last week, there was a, what they call a blood moon. Because when the earth shadow passes over the moon completely, it turns red. And the reason that it turns red is that the light that's refracted around the crescent of the earth, around the earth, only the red lights, the red waves continue to shine through and they're refracted back upon the moon. So the moon turns red. And here the Bible is talking about that phenomenon. And what's interesting is that in this year and next year, there's going to be four complete total lunar eclipses. There's going to be another one in October and two more next year. And each, all four of them fall on a holy day in the Jewish calendar. On two Passovers and two of the feasts that the Jews celebrate. These are signs to us of God's grace and of his goodness. See, in Acts chapter 2, it says, I will show you wonders in the heaven above. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Why? Why is that happening? Because there's going to be a great and glorious day of the Lord. What is God saying to us? He's saying that I want you to know that I am here. That I care about you. That there's greatness and glory waiting for you in me. And therefore, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That God wants you and me right now to call on him and to be saved. That these signs in the heavens are a reminder that God is in control. That these are the prophecies coming true of God's power. This is the way he made the world. So that these eclipses could happen. That we might know his love. And know his grace. And know his power. That we might be filled with the hope of his salvation. Yes, there are times of total eclipse in our life. There are times where we feel like whatever you might think of when you see a blood moon, you might just feel so caught in the shadows and darkness of life. But there's a sun rising. There's a sun of righteousness that is rising. And God calls us to call upon this sun, the son of God, for salvation. In Malachi, in the last book of the Old Testament, the Bible says, But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. God wants to bring total life into us. Total health into us. Total strength into us. In spirit and in our souls. 
He wants us to know that though there are seasons where we go through these eclipses, where we go through darkness, where we go through shadows, he wants us to know that the sun of righteousness is shining upon us even now. And that we can call upon him because even today is the day of salvation. If you've never, ever asked Jesus into your heart, never asked him into your life, he's inviting you to do that right now. He's inviting you to say, Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. I believe that you are alive, that you conquered sin and you conquered death. And I give my life to follow you. I give my life to love you. He asks us, do you love me? One of the greatest preachers who ever lived, Charles Spurgeon, was a pastor in England. He wrote these words. You have them there on your outline. I'll read them and you can follow along. And there it says, let us think for a moment of Jesus as a son to us. As the son is the center, so is Christ. As the sun is the fountain from which light, life, and heat perpetually flow, so is the Savior. And let him have this place in your hearts. There enthrone him. Establish him as the central sun. And let him rule your entire being. Enlightening your understanding. Warming your heart. Filling all your powers, passions, and faculties with the fullness of his presence. Let Jesus be the sun. Let Jesus be the center of your life. The sun of righteousness is shining upon us. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.